0: Welcome guys back to the Grateful Living podcast. Today I'm thankful to have Maria Laham with me today. Maria is a school counselor at a school in Brockton, Massachusetts. Uh, She also has a blog called Grow and Glow, where she provides inspiration to others. Maria, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you for having
0: me. Of course, thankful to have you. So, uh, you know, set the scene for us, you know, where you grew up, your family situation and the type of kid you were.
1: Oh gosh, the type of kid I was. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Not the one that I want. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, I grew up in Norwood, Mass. Um, born and raised to live here. I'm like your typical townie. That's like, oh, I'm going to leave. And then I just never do. Um, I grew up with my mom and my dad and my two brothers on the middle child. So middle child plus only girl. So it's like a whirlwind of emotions, (laughs) but, um, yeah, it was, it was good growing up with two brothers. They're both like very protective. Um, parents are strict. They come from, my mom comes from Lebanon. Um, she met my dad both at 28 and then they got married and she came to America, like picked up everything in three weeks and came here. Um, so our culture and our faith have been and always will be super important. And, um a big characteristic in us so that was our childhood or mine specifically
0: nice nice so you know the Lebanese background how uh prevalent is that to you have you been back there before or how is it how was it expressed in your childhood
1: yeah um I go back thankfully every summer or almost every summer um it's weird because when I'm here I feel Lebanese I don't really feel American but when I go to Lebanon, I feel American. So it's like, it's weird because I only feel American when I'm there for only two months. And then when I'm here, I feel mostly Lebanese Um, because of the language we speak at home, it's mostly Arabic. Um, The church we attend is a Lebanese church. Um, Our friends and the people that surround us are all mainly Lebanese and um, our food, our traditions, the music we listen to. the way we read our Bibles in Arabic. So everything is very, it's like a big spotlight of being Lebanese.
0: Yeah, yeah. Is uh, are there any good spots in Massachusetts for Lebanese food?
1: Oh, for sure. I feel like yeah. when you come from the culture, you're, you're a really big, like, criticizer of how good it is because you have, like, a mom or a grandma or in our language, it's Theta, who's, like, cooking. So it's like, we can't just go anywhere and eat it. But the two that are well, three actually, none of them thinking of it. So in Norwood, there's one, and there's also Biblos, and there's a really good one in West Roxbury if you're from that area, um, which is after one of the female singers in Lebanon.
0: Okay, cool, cool. So, um, you know, obviously today you're a guidance counselor. I'm curious, mm-hmm. how did that, um, that's, you know, a very serving position. Um, has, has service always been something, a part of your life?
1: I think so. I've, I've always been the type of kid who wanted to help. Um, I couldn't just be like a silent bystander. Like I always had to stand up for the underdog or I had to, like if I saw someone alone, like I had to go be their friend Um it was just something that's always been in me to help. And I think I get that from my dad because he was a big helper. Like he always was open and ready to help whoever and whenever. Um, So I've always just, that's what I saw. So that's what I always have known. Um, I actually was going to become a dentist. I was in school um, with a bio major. And then after my first year, I took a psychology class and I was like, all right, this, this is what I want. This is this is me. Like this is everything. Um I started volunteering at a school in Roxbury and the more I got to know the kids, the more I was like, I need to be their counselor. I need to go back to the inner cities. I need to help people who feel helpless and they don't feel like they have any worth. Like it just it's not like a big money reward. Um, We don't make that much, but my heart is always so full after every single day of work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The, the mentorship aspect and, and changing yeah. their lives must, uh, that's gotta be pretty fulfilling.
1: Yeah. It's awesome. And it's just like, especially when we're helping like the younger kids and they don't know better. Like, I feel like when you get older, you know, we can play with our words or whatever, but when it comes to the younger kids, like it's for me, it's so genuine. And when they say like you're their person or they tell you like, I need her, I need Miss Laham right now. Like I'm in a really low place, like a low spot. I I just need her. That, that sense of like being that person for them is very empowering.
0: Any, uh, you know, I'm not sure how you got into it, but any tips for, you know, somebody that might be considering, you know, guidance counseling as a career, you know, um, either how to, get a taste of it or how you might know it's the right career for you?
1: Um, I think that when you start anything and it's a hobby and you look at it, like, I'm not going to a job, I'm going to a career. That's when you know that you're in the right place. If you're like, Oh, gotta wake up for this job. I think that you're in the wrong place. Um, but if you're like, this is my career, this is what it's not like I just go to work and I'm that counselor from seven to three. It's, I do it like all day, every day. And even like when I'm blogging or when I'm using my Instagram, it's all about continuing that counseling, um, relationship with anyone, people that I do know and people that I don't know. So I feel like when you are picking a career, it should be a career and it should be something that you're proud of and you don't mind having to do it often and like all the time. Like, I love it. I never feel like I'm going to work or a job. I feel like I'm going to like really have fun and like yeah. enjoy my time.
0: What's what's the, what's the hardest part? And what's the best part?
1: Hardest is hearing what happens to these kids at a, such a young age. Um, especially like this past week, there have been a lot of. Like suicide ideation or. Conversations that I've been having, and to hear it from kids, it's just like, I mean, it really just blows you away. And then, like, you think that after the first time, okay, then I'll deal with it better next time. And I'm, it still hurts. Like, every time a kid says something to me, and it's about, like, I'm not worthy or I don't even, I don't shouldn't even be here. And they're so young to say that, I'm like, it still knocks the wind out of me.
0: Yeah.
1: The good is, um just seeing their smiles like after like a tough moment and they feel like they're about to give up and then you join them and you're like you just have a conversation with them you pick out some strategies you talk with them it's it's those moments it's when they're like they really feel worthless and then after talking and working with you and it doesn't happen overnight it's a process it takes maybe like six months to the whole school year um and once you get to that place where like this kid used to like not want to come and talk to me. Now it's like, I need Miss Laham. Where is she? Like that, that that's the moment that I'm like, okay, this is why I do what I do.
0: Yeah. Is, uh, how it been with COVID and, uh, you know, obviously this is now almost a year of, you know, COVID going on. How has that been?
1: It's been really difficult, honestly. Um, I feel like there's no right or wrong way to for us to like open our school. I feel like people have something to say about the fact that we're in school since August. Um, And then if we're closed, people have a problem with that, too. So it's like we really feel like stuck in such a hard place. Like, what do we do? Um, And as a counselor, it's it's so it's like. You can't just sit behind a desk and talk to a kid six feet apart. Like when I have sessions before COVID, I sat right next to them. Sometimes I was like in their bubble because they were so upset. Um, a lot of times, these kids, especially the younger kids, they need hugs. They need that high five or that like pound it like. And we can't do that. And I feel like, I feel like no matter how close I'm getting to a kid or how much we're building our relationship, like it's still like missing that like personal piece. And yeah. it stinks. It really does stink because sometimes these kids just want to hug you. And I remember when we first started school, the kids would run up and want to hug and I would just be like, Oh my gosh, no, don't touch me. And it's like, Mm. then they start to get scared. And that, like, when you see that they're like afraid of like going near you, it's, that's, it's hard. It's so heartbreaking. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, the personal touch is, is tough in this time, this time period. Uh, I'm curious, you know, especially in, in, in your type of career, um, You know, you're listening to a lot of hard stories, probably often. Do you have any tips on how to decompress? Are you able to, you know, when you come home, are you able to get away from, you know, that day's work or how's, how's that process for you?
1: I would be lying if I said that it was easy to turn things off and on. Like, it's not that it's not, it's not easy. Um, And I remember when I first started volunteering at a middle school in Roxbury, it was like all day, every day, I would go home with like a headache because I was constantly thinking about like, Oh my goodness, this kid just told me that there's a gang near them. Or like this kid just told me that they have to skip school next week because they have to go work because their parents not home anymore. And they need to make money. Those things like were like all day, all week. I couldn't think I couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, have I gotten better at it? Yes. But I think that at the end of the day, like I'm human and it I'll never be perfect at it. It's something that I'm working on. Um, Now I'll find myself just using some sort of strategy, some type of self-care to like, make sure I'm taking care of my mental health to make sure that I can reset and go back the next day and keep working. Um, A lot of times it's like going to the gym or just like talking to my mom or putting music in.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, obviously you know, we connected, um, you know, through learning uh, of your father's uh, passing. Um, Do you want to kind of introduce who he, who he, um, you know, was and and just kind of give us, you know, before um, the cancer diagnosis, what his life was like, what your life was like, what your family's life was like?
1: Sure. Um, I've never actually like talked out loud about him, so I might tear up. But we'll yep, just keep no, going. With no, it. please. Um, no. he was, he was awesome. <laughs> he, um, he was like a cheerleader for everyone in his life. Like he didn't care about your culture. He didn't care about like your gender. He didn't care about your sexual preference, like nothing. He was like, if you're a human on the street, like, then I care about you. Like you're someone who, you know, in his eyes, like we're all siblings underneath God's world. So like, he doesn't care. Like you can be a stranger on the street and he's like, all right, let's help you out. Um, one memory that like sticks out for me is someone who he knew was struggling with addiction and he was like, all right, I'm going to give you a job and you're going to come with me and I'm just going to help you through it. And, um, even till today, that person will like, make sure they always say hi to us or like, just knock on our door or shovel with us, you know? So that was my dad. He, he loved, he loved like a little kid. Like he always had his heart in his sleeve. He was very innocent with it. Like he, he really felt like everyone had his heart. So it was hard for him when he learns, like not everyone does, like he still struggled with that, but he was a force of life like you you couldn't be in a room with him and not notice him like he was funny he had the best smile ever um the jokes like his joking like you had to get it <laughs> and yeah. um he was intimidating because he was so vague but the way i describe him to people is that he was like a teddy bear he always was just very loving and caring and supportive and he yes he was a cheerleader but he also was like a coach like he loved you but he was like all right you need to do better let's work on that let's work on it together um i also he always made me feel safe he always made me feel like no matter what happens in life like he's there he's got me so that's been hard to like not have but yeah
0: yeah yeah. what's his name simon simon Yeah.
1: That's also my middle name because culturally we have like our dad's middle name. Our our dad's first name as our middle name.
0: Yeah. 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 I'm curious, you know, for most of us as children, we don't, you know, grow up ever thinking about our parents dying. I'm curious for you, had you faced like a grandparent? I I mean, what was your first experience with personal family member dying? Do you know?
1: My dad's dad passed away when I was in like fifth grade from cancer, but he was a smoker. He like, (laughs) I remember when he got diagnosed with cancer, they're like, you got to stop smoking. He's like, you aren't going to tell me what to do. Like I can (laughs) do whatever I want. Um, and we were close to him because when he got the diagnosis of cancer, my dad knew that he was going to pass. So he was like, all right, like they're going to go every weekend and spend it with them. So they they can get as much as they can out of the grandfather. Um, but I was so young that I just didn't really like connect with him in that sense. Like I still like remember him and love him, but it wasn't until, um, a friend of mine passed from, a disease called cystic fibrosis that it really like hit me like, oh wow, life is short and we have no idea when we're going to get called to go home. We have no idea what the other person is going through. Like I had no idea she was going through something so traumatic and it just, like really did make me grow up like overnight, like, okay, this isn't, this isn't a joke. Like you have no idea what people are going through. You have no idea how short life is. And in an instant, like, it's just gone. And like, how are you going to be remembered? Yeah, She was that first person for me to be like, she's gone and everyone is just saying such great things. Even people who weren't friends with her had something beautiful to say about her. Even till today, people remember her. People who never even met her are like, oh, she is a force of life in my life. Like, she's a motivator. And it's like, I remember looking in the mirror and being like, can everyone say that about me? And I'm like, no. So then- her passing really pushed me to kind of like turn my life around little by little to make sure that even my enemies still have some respect or good things to say. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's awesome that she had that type of effect on you. I I guess, you know, um, what was, what was your dad's profession? Um, And then maybe, do you want to introduce us to, you know, how he found out about his cancer diagnosis?
1: Sure. So my dad, um, he did everything. He was a real estate. Um, he had, I don't even know that, like, that's the correct term. Like he had like buildings that he owned and would rent out. Yeah. Um, he also was mainly a car dealership owner. Um, it's called, or it was called AutoQuest. Um, so that was cool. Cause I always got to drive cars off the lot in <laughs> high school. So I was like, everyone move like here I'm coming. (laughs) So that was a lot of fun growing up and he got diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, when it was like, I think it was my first, no, it was my third year of college 2015 or 2014. And then he went through that for a year. He found a lump underneath his Um, arm and he had broken his leg. So he thought it was like the discomfort from the crutches. So he didn't think anything of it. But then when it created other sorts of symptoms, he was like, all right, let me go get this checked out. And it was stage three on Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he had that for about a year. And then he was cured the week before my college graduation. And um, then for The year following, you do checkups pretty often with the doctor to make sure that you're in the clear because you might be cured from cancer, but it doesn't really mean anything until you're five years clean from it. So he was going through checkups every couple months or a couple weeks, and he noticed that there was like a lump in his throat, and he just kept telling the doctor, like, this is making me uncomfortable. Like, I'm really anxious about it. Please, I want it removed. And the doctor just kept saying, like, it's benign, it's benign, it's in a tough spot, like, we don't want him to touch it because, God forbid, we do something wrong in the surgery, it can be, like, it can end your life, or it can do something pretty drastic and paralyze you. Whatever the conversation was, that's the response he always got. and he just kept saying, take it out, take it out. And then um, we went to Lebanon that summer, so a year later. And he went down for two weeks for my cousin's wedding. And you can just see it like in all the pictures, like it's just out, it was poking out of his body. It was pretty large, it was like this big. So he came back and he went through testings and he never told me, I don't know if my brothers knew, but he really liked to protect me from a lot of things that were going on with him. Mm -hmm. So I didn't know he was getting tested or going through any sort of biopsies or anything and um he gets a phone call and it was like right before i started um my last year of grad school and he just started yelling on the phone and i was like all right what was that like that's not like my dad like i mean he can he yeah he can get mad as anyone can but like yeah. to, it was just like such a like an emotion that i've never seen so i was like all right let me run upstairs i run upstairs and my mom's on the couch crying And my dad was on the phone and he just hung up and he just had his head down. And I was like, all right, I have no idea what's going on. And I just asked, I was like, what's going on? My dad didn't want to tell me. And I was like, someone please tell me what's going on because I'm about to get in the car and drive to school. Like I need someone to tell me. And my mom had said like, um, your dad, they they have, they think it's cancer again. And it like, I just, I just left. I, I couldn't say anything. I just got in the car and I went, um, and then about like two or three weeks later after testing, they told him it was stage four. Um, he never said terminal to me. Like he always said, like, we're going to beat this. Like he never told me that it was terminal. And I don't know if he knew it and just didn't want to tell me or if it's like he just was in denial himself. So it was always like we got this. We're going to beat this. Like I'm always going to be here. So I was like, all right, cool. And that was for a year. It was just constant like chemo radiation, chemo radiation. And then um the second year of it, he in March, he's or in February of the year he passed away. So 2018, he like couldn't turn the TV on. And I was like we've had this TV forever. Like, how do you not to know how to turn the TV on? And I started to get like frustrated. And I remember getting so angry at him. Like, just turn the TV on. Like, why are you, like, why are you lost? Yeah. And it turned out that it had spread to his brain. So it started to cause like a little bit like of like, similar to like dementia. So he started to forget things. He started to like, kind of go back into like his, like, child, childish ways, I guess. So in March, he was in the hospital and they he was in there for like a weekend to type. Other parts of his body and like, it was like, I'm not giving up. I'm staying here for my kids and my wife. Like, I'm not done. Hold, hold on. And- um, I,
0: it, uh, it paused um, for a quick second there. I lost you for a second there. For a second uh, Can yeah you, you said out? um it, you said in March and then I didn't hear what you said
1: is a stable now yeah yeah okay um in March he stayed in the hospital for a weekend and then to do more testing and he didn't want us to like go and visit him because he wanted to protect us you know um so I guess it just spread everywhere to his brain to the rest of his body. And they were like, all right, this is it, you know? And he just didn't want to give up. He was like, I'm not done with, I'm not done living life with my kids and my wife. Like I, I don't want to leave them. So he started something called immunotherapy. Um, so it uses your own immune system to fight off the cancer. And it was like a, it's like a, not a trial, but it's like, it's just like your last hope type of thing. And doctors just kept saying like, there's no more like, it, it's useless. Like, why are we still doing this? And he was like, two reasons, my children and my wife, that's why. And he just kept signing off saying like, yes, the doctor said I should stop. I'm still going to go. Um, and then in July, like July 3rd, the hospice nurse started to come over. And she just told us like, based on the decline, that it's going to happen any minute. And we need to figure out if we want to like resuscitate or just like let him pass. So my dad's response was do whatever you guys want. I don't want to be, I don't want to cause more stress on your, your heads. So if it's, do not resuscitate. And if that's the way you guys want me to go, then that's the way I can go. I will do whatever you guys want. Like, I don't want to be more of a headache or a burden. And we were like, that's not it at all. Like we want to do what you want to do. So July, like he passed July, 28, 2018. And like two days before that, I got a call from my mom and I was at work and she said, we got to go. We're going to the hospice place. Like, this is it. Um, I'm stubborn. So like, I was like, okay, I'll finish my day off and then come to you guys. And my coworkers were like, no, you're going to, you're going to your dad, like enough's enough. So they like left my backpack and work stuff outside of the school. And they were like, goodbye, go home. And we're like, all right. And I'm forever thankful for that because that was the last conversation I had with my dad. (laughs) When I walked in and he was like, "Oh, there's my Banuta. She's home," and Banuta means my little girl in Arabic, and that's what he used to call me. So I'm very thankful that like people pushed me to go home because I literally wasn't denial up until he passed away. Like I always thought, like he's gonna beat it, like no matter what. I was like, okay, he's fine. He's gonna make it. Like he's gonna be on my birthday. He's gonna be there. He's gonna be at my wedding. Like he's gonna be here for my kids in the future, Inshallah. Like no like this is good i never really like thought like he was gonna leave my life just like how you said earlier like you never think your parents are gonna die like for me like no matter what happened to him he was always good so i was like he's gonna be good we're fine i'm not gonna lose my dad i'm not that's not my story um so we went to the hospice place it was i believe a thursday night friday he was out like he was like barely talking and um saturday he 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 passed away it was july twenty eighth, and he passed away and it was just very traumatic it was very to see your dad like lifeless on a bed like it's very hard and i remember like the whole weekend we were there like my brothers and i did not leave that room and he passed when we left the room my brothers and i were like okay like we've been in there all like, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, all day, like, let's just go out, take a walk, let, let people who are visiting, like, have their, like, last moments with our dad, we left the room, and not even, like, a minute or two later, I hear screams from the room, and I come back in, and he's passed away, so he literally, like, protected us from that last breath that he took, my brother's girlfriend at the time, who's now his fiance, was in the room, and then me and my brothers had left, so, It was like he was surrounded by, like, the people who were family to us. It was his, like, best friend, Samia, his wife, their brother, and my mom, my brother's fiance, Amy, and two other, three other people that just meant the world to my dad. Um, So it was, it was, it's weird to say, but he went surrounded beautifully like he he was Mm surrounded by the people who have been there for him since like day one and i mean he went he went on the way that he wanted to he did not want to pass in front of us he he knew he knew what to do so
0: yeah yeah um i guess so you know i guess For people listening to this, or and they might be going through a similar situation, yeah, you know, what, um, I mean, I'm sure that you all in the midst of the process, you know, do you have any advice? I mean, I'm not even sure if there's advice to give, but yeah, I mean, you know, because he went through non-hodgkin's lymphoma for a year so you were dealing yeah. with that and then you know um
1: the second kind was um cell sarcoma okay. sarcoma it's a cancer on the skin and i think the neck and head or something
0: okay you know i i'm not even sure if there's if, i mean is there any advice to give in in that i mean because he's going through you know, chemo, you know, and all, all that and um, I'm not sure I mean I'm not even sure it's possible to stay sane in, in that time period. Um, but you know as as you look back, is there anything um, as the family member person um, that you would say on that process?
1: do what you need. Honestly, do what you need to make it through that one day. Like, don't plan for a year, don't plan for a month, just day by day. I think, like, for me, like, I always look back and I'm like, oh, I wish I, like, had more video recordings. I just miss his voice. Or, like, I wish I took more pictures. Like, my brothers always get on my case about, like, taking pictures or, like, can you just, like, be in the moment? I'm like, yes, but I also, like, want to remember this moment. Like, God forbid if something happens. So, like, for me, like, I love my pictures and videos with my dad and like, I feel like they're not enough. So it's like spend time with them, like ask them questions. Like there's so many things now that I'm like, Oh, I wish I knew the answer to this that my dad, like, what would my dad say? Like, I wish I knew, I wish I had like a list of questions. I asked my dad before everything happened and just like recorded it and just could replay it whenever I needed it. And I would say find a strategy that's healthy to you. Um, I started journaling after he passed and I wish I started it during it. I wish I captured every thought and memory through my writing from day one. Um, And I think it's also a big thing is to be kind to yourself. Like, There's no right way to go through this. And remember to be kind to your mind and to be kind to others because just like how you are going through it, you have no idea what the next person is going through. I remember like when my dad passed, people called us and they were like, we had no idea it was this bad. Like we had no idea who was going We had no idea. Why don't you tell us? And like, that serves as a reminder. Like you have no idea what the family is going through. And once that person leaves and cancer, takes them away we still deal with it so it's like be kind to yourself and be kind to others that's if I had to wrap it all up it would be just be kind to yourself and others like kindness is so underrated and empathy too like the more you have empathy with yourself and others I think the more you can get through each day
0: yeah I'm I'm curious you know managing your your professional and, and personal life and then also, um, you know, your, your father's condition. I mean, I don't know, like, how do you, you know, how did you, um, did you take breaks away from work or anything? Like, I mean, no. I, okay.
1: I never took a day off. I never like, I mean, this isn't healthy, but I just. I was, I was in denial. I didn't talk about it. No one knew about it. No one at my work knew about it. No one, I just like kept it quiet until like, I had to tell them, um, when it got to my dad's, um, brain, that's when I was like, all right, things might actually not turn out as I think they're going to turn out. And so I was like, all right, this is what's going on. And I just threw myself into work. Like I was at work 30, 45 minutes early. And I would stay after I I really did like compartmentalize every emotion and I just threw myself into work. Um, and it caught up with me after my dad passed, I like didn't want to talk about it. And I remember my bosses being like, Hey, like we want to talk to you. And I was like, all right, so what about work? And they're like, Oh no, we're, we want to talk about you. And like your dad's passing. I'm like, Oh no, we're not doing that. We can talk about work, but we're not talking about that. And they were like, you need to like, it's unhealthy. And I just like laughed it off and I, I would just leave the meeting. Um, but it's not, it's not healthy. You need to do what you need to do to deal with it. And if that's writing, if that's talking, if that's crying, if that's going to the grave every day, like you need to do that. Um, and breaks are okay. I didn't think that it was, I was like, I can't cry. I can't talk about it. I can't show that I'm tired mentally or physically. Like I need to keep going. And like, if I could tell my younger self, I would say, like, it's okay to take a break. It's okay to cry. It's okay to tell your dad that you love him, and you're gonna miss him.
0: Yeah. I'm, you know, on that line, and and maybe you've, you've answered and feel free to say you have, but like, you know, life is still going on while this is happening. And I'm just curious, was it tough to like, you know, maybe somebody's getting married or something like that. Was it tough to feel the emotion of happiness while you're seeing, you know, your father suffering so much?
1: Yeah, it was, it was very hard. Um, the year before he passed, I just spent it like with him. Like if I wasn't at work, I was with him. Um, and it was hard to go out and do anything. Cause I was like, I'm going to have a lot more memories with these people than I am with my dad. Like, I just want to stay home. So I didn't do a lot of things a year before he passed. I still did attend things, but it wasn't as much. And was I present? No. Like I was, I don't even remember. I don't remember the year that he passed that like 2018, that whole year. I don't remember it. It, It's like blacked out. Like I think thankfully I have photos, but I don't remember being present in it. It was, some, it was always on my mind. And unfortunately, it came out as anger or it came out as drinking or it came out as like some sort of emotion because it was such like a, an armor because I didn't want to talk about the actual pain. And then the year after he passed, a lot of my friends got engaged and married and it was really hard to want to be a good friend. But then also like I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go to the bridal showers. I didn't want to go to their weddings. I didn't want to. I didn't want to celebrate. And a cultural tradition is to wear black because you're in mourning. And I decided to do that as like a way to honor him. And it became something that I hid behind. It was really hard to talk about, like taking the black off after a year. Um, it was yeah. It was really hard.
0: Yeah. Um. You know, uh, obviously, there's a relationship that you and the family have with the the doctors and and things of that nature. Uh, I'm sure you guys Googled everything, and um, you know, and I'm sure they had their own timelines. Is there um, anything you have to say about managing, you know, that relationship? Because it's it can be. I'm sure it can be tough. With the doctors. Yeah. When they say, you know, he has three months or whatever they say.
1: Well, I never knew because he always kept it hidden from me. I don't know about my brothers or I don't know about my mom. But for me, like, I really thought he was always going to beat it. Like, I never thought anything. Um, When the doctor first told my dad that he was diagnosed with cancer, um, my response wasn't the kindest for lack of better words. Yeah. Um, the doctor was just, you know, spilling really big words at us that I was like, can you, can you stop? Can you explain the words that you're saying? And the doctor really wouldn't. So he got annoyed with me and I got annoyed with him, which then made me get really defensive over my dad. And it just wasn't the best doctor's appointment in general. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, we don't talk about the doctors. We don't talk about um, what they were saying. I think for my, especially my mom, she holds a lot of resentment towards the doctors because she felt like it was a little bit their fault that they didn't act upon the tumor early enough. It was hard because six weeks prior to going to Lebanon, it was still benign. And then when he goes down to Lebanon, comes back, And he's in a lot of pain and he's going to his next appointment. Oh, all of a sudden it's stage four. Like we, my mom and all of us really had a tough time understanding that. And I think for her and I, we tried to like put blame on the doctors. So like, it was really hard for us to talk about it and to like discuss the doctors. Like you couldn't mention doctors to me. I like refuse to go to the doctors because I'm just like so nervous. Like what if I go and now I'm going to get something. So like, it takes a lot for me to like say like okay I'm gonna go to the doctor that's how you know it's bad that's how you know I might feel really sick because I'm actually agreeing to go to the doctors so it's definitely a very like tough place for us to like discuss it's hard it's hard for us to like
0: yeah.
1: empath I don't know like I guess empathize with the doctors Yeah, yeah yeah our relationship wasn't the greatest and when they would tell him like oh there's no more hope my dad would be like who are you to tell me that like you're not god I'm still gonna I'm still gonna hope so that was hard for us, is to like hear them being like, "It's just another patient number one or patient 101 one." When in reality, like that's no, that's Simon Laham, and he has a family. It's not just a, a patient. Yeah.
0: You know. Yeah. I'm, you know, and again, I guess you know, you have best friends and and things of that nature. You know, during this time period, as you look back, do you have any advice for, you know, say someone out there is a friend of, you know, someone going through your situation Um, as a friend? Is there a good way to be a, a support, supportive friend to you during this time?
1: I would say for friends. Just ask ask the person what they need. I felt like a lot of times I would be with my friends and they would tell me what I would need or they would just say things that I was like, I, can't, I don't want to hear that right now. I'm not at the capacity to handle what you were talking to me about. And just be sensitive to them. Like anything would, would bother me. Uh, like that one year after my dad passed, like anything bothered me the smallest thing. Like if you started talking about your dad in front of me, I would black out. I wouldn't even listen to what you're saying. So it's like, be sensitive to what you're saying in front of the person. I remember one time, um, a friend sent me a picture of flowers and I was like, okay, those are so nice. Thanks for sharing. Like it was so random. (laughs) She goes, yeah, my dad just got them for me for Valentine's day. And I was like, yeah, I literally just blocked her number. I needed to do that. Like, it, yes, now like someone might say, oh, that's so childish, Maria. why would you do that? That's what I needed at that time for my mental health, for my mental and emotional health. So for friends out there or for someone listening who knows someone who's going through something, whether it's cancer or some sort of other grief, ask your per- ask that person what they need. Do they need to talk about that person? Do they need to go for a walk? Do they need a hug? what do just ask the person what they need sometimes we're not we're gonna say I don't know just sit here with me and then just sit there with you and I think those were the friends that truly got me through it and a lot of those were my work friends my work friends I really like am very thankful for them because they helped me get through the toughest year
0: yeah you know um one of the things you mentioned was uh faith Mm -hmm. um i'm interested to hear you know how has your relationship with your faith or um been through all this
1: it struggled at first i felt like when my dad got diagnosed i was really mad at god because i was like we're good people like we go to church every sunday like We donate to the church. Like I thought, this is what faith is all about. We're going to be protected, and now I'm realizing that faith isn't like an armor of protection against everything. It's it's that hand in your hand that's going to help you go through those tough moments. You know, faith isn't no issues. It's going to be that there are going to be storms, but you're going to get through them because you have faith with you. Um, It definitely. I'm now in a better place with my faith. But if you asked me this question when my dad was struggled, I I would be like, no, I don't want to talk about God. I didn't want to talk about God. And people would say, oh, this is what God wants. I would just be like, is there a God? Like, I'm confused. If there's a God, why did my family go through that? Like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get how someone would put that into our lives and take away someone who I wasn't ready. Like I, I would like bargain with God. I'm like, okay, I won't swear anymore. Like just keep him here for another year. Or like, okay, I promise, like, I'll be really kind to my brothers. And then when none of that happened and he passed, I was like, well, what's the point? I'm a good person. If this is really like, why, you know, mm-hmm. that was a big thing. like, I just kept asking why, when my dad never did. My dad never asked God why. He was always like, this is the battle and I'm going to get through this. I might be alive in it and I might not, but like, I'm going to make sure that I live God's purpose through this.
0: Yeah. Um you know, I I guess is there you know, after he passes you know, is there anything um that you look back on like just that you wanna you wanna talk about, you know, on I mean I don't know if there's anything to to say, but that, that first couple months or, you know, I mean, are you even able to sleep or, you know, how, how was, how was.
1: When my dad passed, I slept in my parents' room for like two months after. Um, I would say like, it was, it's hard. Like I've always been a a person that's like, okay, I fall asleep. I can go to sleep. Like I never had an issue with it but now it's like, it's hard. Cause like when you, when you lay down and like, there's nothing else to think about, like, that's where my mind goes. So it's like, then you think about all the things that your family has been through and like you think about like, okay, if he was here, how would things be? You, you sit there and you kind of like imagine things. So I would say like, it's hard. It's been hard, but you find your strategies. Like something that I do is I listen to like meditation music before I go to sleep. Sometimes it's just meditation and sometimes it's Christian led meditation so that's been definitely difficult but working on it (laughs) progress not perfection (laughs) yeah
0: you know uh, people always say time helps I'm curious is that actually true or uh, how have you looked back
1: I would say there's always a wound and um I think time shows you how to handle that wound, but the wound never leaves. Um, I think I can try to find peace in it. Have I found peace in it? I don't know. I don't think so. I think that it's still something that I'm like angry with God with, but you find the strategies like before, like I couldn't even talk to someone about it. Um, I couldn't write about it. Like I would still like pause and like, be like, okay, I'm not posting this. Um, But I think that time just helps you find the tools to keep going, but it doesn't heal the wound. It just reminds you, time just reminds you that life is short and that you need to like love unconditionally. That's really it. But it doesn't heal. It doesn't, it doesn't unfortunately.
0: For you, um, you know, is, uh, the, the anniversaries the toughest time of the year for you or how, how is, or is it just throughout the year? It's always,
1: I think it's throughout the year. Unfortunately, um, his birthday is always tough. Um, Christmas, like anytime that I get to like cook, yeah. cause like I started to cook, like a couple of years before he passed like i started to like take over holidays and like cook so like holidays for me i'm always like sitting there eating but then like i wonder if he would like this like i wonder if he would be like oh this is great or like the steak is dry you know <laughs> but holidays definitely and birthdays and then that whole month of july honestly um, because in July, like it was right at the beginning where we found out that like, he's probably not going to make it. So the nurse us said, he's probably not going to make it till August. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like my birthday's in August. He can't, he has to be here for my birthday. Like it, yeah. the world still re- revolved around me that I wasn't able to realize like, this is a person who's passing. It's not just your birthday. It's going to be like everything that's going to be without him. Like I couldn't imagine my birthday without him.
0: Yeah.
1: That like. Now I'm like, okay, like now I'm not going to have a lot of things without him. So I think like even celebrations, like when I got my job, like it was like so happy, but then I was like so sad or like when I got my car, it was my first car that I bought. I got happy, but then I got really sad. Um, So it's those things like my brother got engaged, happy, but then like really sad.
0: Yeah. How has it been uh, for your mom?
1: Oh gosh. So t- it's, it's hard.
0: Yeah.
1: He loved her. Like that was his best friend. And um, I always like it. Like, it's so funny how they only met and got married in three weeks, but like their love, you would think that they were like dating for years and they like, got engaged and all this stuff. But like, I mean, like he just was obsessed with her. They could like sit in a room and just hang out with her. They didn't have to like go out and party. Like they, they, they just loved being in each other's presence and they did everything together. Like she worked with him. Um, she would help him run errands or like she would pick out his like Sunday suit before he went to mass. So it's like for her, like it's hard because she lost her partner in life and like best friend. And this was the time for them to like really go out and like celebrate life together I felt like my dad was always like spending on us but he never really spent on himself like yes he liked to be nice and dressed nicely like he spent on that but he never like took vacations for himself like he never got to enjoy the world like he always would send us to Lebanon he would always send us on vacations and buy us the nice cars or put money into you know whatever we wanted school work anything but he never did that to himself and um His thing was, okay, when my youngest brother Sharpel would graduate, then him and my mom can go out and enjoy. So my mom's always thing is like, I never got to like see the world with him. And that was something that I was so looking forward to. So her idea of celebrating life has changed. It was like, just go now and do it. Don't wait for next summer or next week to do it now. You want to go on vacation, go now and do it just because like they waited for so long that they thought that they had more time does that make sense
0: yeah 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 um you know hopefully through this we can also you know obviously there aren't a lot of positives but um maybe can you talk to us about your favorite memory of him or the spirit that you hope others can um, take from his life and, and put it in their own.
1: Sure. Um, He was, he always had like the best knowledge. Like he just knew about everything and not in a sense of like cockiness, but in a sense that like, you can sit down and talk to him about anything and there was no judgment. So I feel like it's hard to just pick one memory, but I think for me, it was when my friends would be at my house and I wouldn't be, and I would just come over and be like, oh, they're here for me. And it's like, no, they're here for my dad. They're sitting with him and talking to him about their relationship or their issues or their job. Like That for me, like when I think of my dad, it's not me talking to him. It's me watching him play such an important, influential role to the people that I love my friends, my brothers and their friends. Like that's for me, like the main thing is how influential he was in everyone else's life. Like when I get together with my friends, they're always like, man, I miss your dad. Like he was like a dad to me. And then they start talking about memories and things that like they shared. And I was like, I didn't even know that happened. Like, so those are the memories for me that mean a lot is, is how much he just how much he just loved and cared and supported people left and right.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. You know, um, I, I asked the questions, you know, from my perspective, but was, um, was there anything else that you, you wanted to talk about with respect to, you know, him or, or, or this whole process? Um.
1: Now I'm like
0: blanking. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. No, that's fine. Um, I'm I'm gonna ask you about the blogging, but I'm just in in yeah. terms of, you know, um, you know, those couple of years, I oh I saw that you were um, you did some uh, what was it uh, not charities but um the Relay for Life. Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Yeah. How, so, how were you, uh,
0: how were you able to do that? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Begged people. <laughs> um, The relay was hard to get everyone on board because it was so new and my mom like didn't want to do anything with cancer. And my brother's like, you know, we all grieve and honor differently. And for me, I was like, that was my way. You know, I wanted to do things to constantly be talking about him or remembering him. And it was the relay for life. And so, um, it was a different thing. Like, we don't really do that. And I don't know, like in our, I guess like in my family or whatever, in my culture, like we don't really do like relays and like walks. So this was something new from my family and I, um, and it was like an all night thing. And we, the support and love that we got from complete strangers was insane. It really blew, like till today, like the people who were our friends turned into family. They started off as strangers from like church or like people that my dad knew back in the day that were never in our lives. But when he got diagnosed with cancer, they started to support us in ways that I was like, you guys don't even know us. Like the support that we got even just on that day, like getting so many people there when it was something out of people's comfort zone to do, like that meant the world to me. Like, I don't really think my mom wanted to be there and doing that because she didn't want to celebrate. She didn't want to do anything like that. So for her to go and be moved emotionally by the, um, they call it the luminaria ceremony where we light a candle, like seeing all the candles lit up in his name. I mean, it it was so moving that like my dad's brother was crying and the younger kids were there and they were even tearing up. So it's, it's, it was tough, but I felt like we needed it. It was like a good, it was a good thing to end that year on because it was in it was the weekend of father's day the first father's day without him so it was a way to like kind of celebrate him on that first father's day without him
0: yeah yeah uh talk to us about the the blogging the instagram account and uh you know how did that how did you know um you know you talk a lot about these issues which uh, i think is awesome uh so talk to us about that
1: Um, I was super overwhelmed after my dad's passing, um, understandably. Um, and I was constantly being told that, you know, you're going to get married one day and it's going to be fine. And I was like, just so struggling with that. Like my wound is my wound. Like I, right now I'm not okay. And I don't need you to skip my stages and make me think positively. Like right now I want to be negative. I want to yell, I want to be angry, I want to not go to church, I want to sit in my sorrow for a little bit, like, let me have my moment to just wallow in my pain, and I felt like people around me, I'm sure it came from love, but it was not what I needed, and they just, they try to say things to make me, I guess, feel better, but in reality, it just kept hurting me. And my mom really just didn't want me to speak out um, to their faces because she thought it would be rude. Um, So I always kept it inside. And then I just blew up and I was like, "I'm gonna write." So I just wrote and I posted it on a blog site. And I thought no one was gonna read it. I was just like, "This is my therapy, my free therapy." And I just wrote. And then I posted it, and people were sharing and sharing and sharing. And people were reaching out who's I didn't even know were grieving a loss of a father. And they were like, "I'm going through something similar. And it became a circle of support that I didn't I didn't even know existed. Um, I didn't know there are other people going through what I was going. When you're, When you're in that moment, you think I'm the only person going through this and I'm alone. And then when you talk about it, you realize we're not alone. Like we might have different boats, but we're all going through the storm. So it's like, The best thing you can do for yourself and for others is to talk about it or i guess if you're comfortable with it to talk about it because someone out there is feeling alone feeling like they're not they're the only ones going through it or no one else feels what they're feeling and they might not be comfortable to like openly talk about it or write about it and When I would post it, people would message me privately and then we would start talking and going into depth about emotions and how they're feeling in their story. They don't feel comfortable putting it as like a public, but they now have someone that they can message on the side and say like, okay, I'm going through this part of it. Can you help me or can you offer me support? So that's how the blog started. And then I created the Instagram handle um, for it. And I named it Grow and Glow because I felt like in order to grow in life, you have to go through the pain and you can put as much highlighter as you want on your cheeks and your nose. But if (laughs) you're not really truly like glowing from the inside, it's all fake. And if you truly want to glow and like feel good inside and out, you have to go, go grow through that pain in order for that to happen. You can't skip it. Like I always thought, like, I'm not going to deal with the pain. I'm gonna pretend I look good and yeah I'm great yeah but in reality I wasn't so I had to like grow through it in order to glow from it
0: that's awesome it's awesome yeah no I I think it's terrific that uh, as you talked about a lot of people don't want to publicly talk about you know the thing you know they might have also lost their father but they can't they might not have the ability the way you do to to also write or to put yeah. it in, in such, um, good words. So, uh, that's awesome that you're doing that. Thanks. Um, you know, Maria, we, we talked about a lot. Was there, uh, was there anything else that you wanted to talk about?
1: Um, just that you're worth it. Like whoever's listening, like you're loved, you're known, you're acknowledged and your value. So that's really it. That's like, just a reminder, like you're always loved no matter how you might feel like you're always loved.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, Maria, I just want to acknowledge you on, uh, I I think it's, it's incredible how, um, open you've been, you know, not only in your blog and, and things of that nature, but just, um, helping others who may not be able to express themselves and, you know, maybe reading your, blog post is like oh i'm going through the exact same thing um i want to also shout out your father he, he you know i obviously didn't know him but uh he he was you know obviously a great man and um you know as you said he kept fighting till the end mm-hmm. he never never gave up so that's awesome um if you uh if you want do you want to tell uh people you know, your, your blog website, and then also your Instagram handle? Of
1: course. So, Oh, I don't even know it right now. <laughs> <laughs> so my Instagram is, um, grow with Banuta. So it's grow with, um, the whole word W I T H and then Benuta, Banuta B A N U T A. And again, that's what my dad used to call me. Um, which means my little girl and, um, my website is Maria laham period quicksite.com slash grow glow.
0: Perfect. I'll put those in the show notes. Uh, Maria, thank you so much for being on.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Of course.